This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. What is Cafe Mocha? Cafe Mocha is experts, celebrities. What's up? This is Belle Bid DeVoe. Yours truly, Idris Elba. This is Fantasia. I am Iyama Van Zandt. Hey, y'all. This is your girl, Latoya Luckett. Music and features from a woman's perspective. Intriguing conversation. The Swag Award. Espresso. The Mocha Mix. So much more. All from a woman's perspective. What flavor are you, baby? This is Cafe Mocha. This weekend, we're taking you from Broadway to Hollywood with two dynamic women of color. One has a play on Broadway. The other has played a couple of iconic characters, including a witch in the cult classic The Craft. Award-winning playwright Dominique Morisseau and actress Rachel True this weekend on Cafe Mocha. It's Cafe Mocha. Dominique Morisseau is an award-winning playwright from her play Detroit 67 to her current Broadway musical Ain't Too Proud, The Life and Times of the Temptations. She's committed herself to telling the stories of Detroit. And Lottie, you saw... Uh, ain't too proud, right? I was there opening night in Los Angeles before they went to Broadway, and I knew it would be a hit. Welcome to Cafe Mocha, Dominique. Thank you. Thank you for having me. First of all, tell us about doing the Temptation story because it was a wonderful, wonderful wow. play. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Thank you. Thank you. You know, um, I mean, listen, I'm a Detroit girl. I grew up, I'm born and raised there. And I, I, I grew up on this music. You know, they're they're my parents' favorite artists, you know, so I kind of grew up on the music of my parents, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and when I was approached about this musical, uh, I thought, oh my God, like I have to do this just if, for no other reason to not disappoint my mom and my daddy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, mm-hmm. but Detroit really feels a sense of like ownership over the Temptations, you know? I always say whether they like it or not, we sort of feel like we loan them out to the rest of the world, but they belong home, you know? <laughs> and, um, but I realized like everybody feels that way about them and their stories just, you know, amazing. And, and, and Otis Williams was really on board to have us tell his story. The, the, the musical is based in part on his biography. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's just kind of amazing to be like, help to usher his story to Broadway. Now, can you tell us when you got that call saying it was going to Broadway, what was that feeling like? So here's what happened. We have been <laughs> we've been working on this for a couple of years. I've been working on it for about four years, and my cast, a lot of them have been with the show since we first started working on it um, at the top of 2017. So for us, it's been two years in production where we've been trying to get to Broadway. We we were in Berkeley. We broke box office records in Berkeley. We went to L.A. We were in D.C. and Toronto. And when we were in L.A., that's when we all found out together that we were going to Broadway, our producers told us. Mm-hmm. And, like, I have video of, like, the cast was, like, falling on their knees, <laughs> you know? I mean, it just felt like all this work had paid off, and, and you're never really sure. Even though I got in this because this was Broadway producers approaching me to take this to Broadway, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get all the way there. And so it's a big moment for us 
just to do this, you know? I want to say that right now I checked the box office numbers and you guys are doing great because that's the most, that's one of the most important things when you go to Broadway. You know, Lonnie's from Detroit. Mm -hmm. I did radio in Detroit. I know you're from Detroit, Dominique. But why do you choose Detroit to tell stories about? Because before this, it was the trilogy and then you had, you know, why Detroit? Yeah. Well, you know, I just, I, for a long time growing up, and I've been, you know, I went to school at the University of Michigan, so I was, I went to school close to Detroit, but not inside the city, and so, uh, for college. And, and anytime I've been a little bit outside the city, I've heard people's perspective about our city. You know, their perspective about Detroit can be really sketchy. Um, I feel like they have a negative idea about who we are, and for me, you know, I'm like, well, all this this negative perception of us is coming from some bad storytellers about our city. We have some great storytellers about our city, and that's the real writers that are from there, not the, the media necessarily. And so for me, I want to write about Detroit to write about the people I know and love and write them in their full humanity. Uh, and so that's what makes me want to tell stories about our city. How has your work educated people about Detroit? You know, it's funny because... Uh, First of all, I, like my play Skeleton Crew, which is about the auto industry in Detroit. I remember in L.A. I had a show, a performance of it this past year in L.A. And um, and some of the audience members that would come out, I mean, I'm talking like some of my peers, you know, would come out and say, hey, you know, before I saw this, I never really, I never thought about what was going on in Detroit in like 2008 when the foreclosure crisis was happening, you know, when they shut off people's water, when the, when the jobs are being threatened. And now you kind of have to see a human face behind those issues that were making, like, headlines, you know. And for me, that's the, they, they feel the, like, strength and the resilience and the pride and the tenacity of Detroiters, but also, like, just the love line. And I always say when people talk about Detroit, Detroit is such a black city, mm-hmm. you know. So when you talk about Detroit, you're really talking about black folks. Mm-hmm. And if we can kind of paint a fuller picture of who we are, that's not just doing that for the city. That's doing it for everybody in the nation, you know. And so um, that's what feels kind of important about it for me. We're on the line with Dominique Morisot. She's an award-winning playwright. Ain't Too Proud, The Life and Times of the Temptations is on Broadway right now. I was just watching a documentary about Cleveland. And mm-hmm. in the documentary, they said, well, at least we ain't Detroit. Hmm. How do mm-hmm. we bring, I mean, I live, oh, that's terrible. I lived in Detroit. <laughs> I know part of the beauty of Detroit. How do we bring it back? Do you have, I mean, yeah. you know, it's, your, it's you guys home. You too, Lonnie. How do we bring Detroit black, black back? <laughs> Dominique? I mean, I'd love to know what Lonnie thinks about it. You know, for me, I feel like. There is a lot of talent and gifts and, and, and brilliant minds that live in the city right now. And I know a lot of Detroiters yeah. that are trying to take their city back. And and right now, Detroit is going through a change. It's going through a lot of new redevelopment. And some of that is good, but some of it is also displacing some of the people that already live there. And I think you can't really fix Detroit if you're trying to get rid of Detroiters. You know, you have to do it with their, their help and their ingenuity and their brilliance, you know. And... That's one of the things that I think if there you can take advantage of the great writers, the great thinkers, and the great artists that live in the city who kind of like, you know, can help bring that commerce back to the city. Mm-hmm. There's so much talent there, and I'd like to, I'm, I'm a part of that. I'm, I'm part of a, a board, I'm on the board of Detroit Public Theater, which is um, a not-for-profit but professional acting theater in Detroit. And there's so many others, there's so many poets in the city, and I, I think we have to kind of support them, you know. And this is the thing. 
Detroit is going through a renaissance, and Dominique is 100% correct. When you're an artist and you write about where you're from, it's no different than people always writing about New York. You know, we know about New York because, what, everybody makes that. So for what Dominique is doing um, with the plays about Detroit, explaining about Detroit, it's giving a new renaissance about Detroit. Um, the question I have for you, Dominique, is how does your life change after having a... This is your first Broadway musical, I'm assuming, right? That's, that's right. How, how has your life changed? I mean, can you just walk in and go, I have a Broadway musical now? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm going to have to try that. <laughs> um, what I, I feel like is it's changed because it's put it's made me what I do more visible and so therefore it's making like the city more visible and artists from the city more visible so that's a good thing you know also I'm like most of my cast they are so gifted this cast they mm-hmm. are so like they are genius performers and so many of them, this is their Broadway debut or this is their first time being a lead in a Broadway show and they've been on Broadway for years, you know. And so I sort of feel like I'm able to help what I'm doing in my work is helping to amplify them. This is the first time that most of them have ever been on a show. Well, all of them. This is the first time they've ever been on a show written by a black woman, a musical written by a black woman. I mean, that's and, history. But that tells you how rare uh, a time that is. And so I feel really lucky to be able to help move that move the needle on that that's what the biggest feeling is for me i feel like i'm moving the needle you know yeah will you um take the play back to detroit yeah i mean we're talking when we talk about where we would want to kick off like the tour you know after it's on broadway for a while it starts to tour and i've been pushing for you know there's a whole producing team attached to the show but i we've definitely i've definitely been pushing to them that we should start that tour in detroit that we need to make sure that detroit is a that there's something really special attached to when it goes to detroit because that's the birthplace of this group and we can't we, we have to show them we got to show respect to that you Definitely. know, I really wanted to see the play. Uh, my my best friend Kimberly English is the widow of uh, Melvin Franklin. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. she went out to see it and said she had a wonderful time. So I'm looking forward to checking out the play. Let me tell you, it, it's so it's one of those plays where it's a musical, but because the the music of the Temptations was so good that there's never like a lull. Because you know, sometimes you get to musicals, you be like, oh, God. right. Every uh-huh. every song, every action. <laughs> The dance numbers, the lighting, I mean, you know, and it, for it to be in, Detroit, you know, in um, L.A. and, and uh-huh. be actually like that, um, you know, I'm definitely going to make a trip to New York. And when it and when you'll get it done, when it goes to Detroit, I'll be there opening night for Detroit, too, because this is just it's just awesome to see my city. I, I stand hard for it. I mean, on my show, The Real, right I make sure I always, you know, let people know I'm from Detroit. People from Detroit are real. Yeah. They love hard. Yeah. We play hard. We work hard. And you see, she's one of our few black creatives that have made Broadway. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't hear that every day. Right. You know, and to yeah. be able to have a radio show where we can give her this exposure. Yeah. And we're going to definitely, you know, keep supporting you and doing what we can to, um, to make the magic happen. And I guess my next question is, what do you want to do next? What's right. next for you? 
Oh, well, thank you. I have some, you know, first of all, thank you guys for giving, for amplifying me like this. Like, this is what we need. We need exposure and we need other women that are willing to amplify other women, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I feel like that's what's helped me move the needle and be able to do what I'm doing right now. I'm working in television, so I have some Detroit television projects I'm working on. Um, I'm I'm working on a screenplay right now, and and I'm working on another musical that I can't yet talk about but it'll be announced pretty soon and I'm, I'm looking forward to that one because it's going to have a, a black woman creative team and that's going to make history on Broadway mm. well congratulations nice. thank you guys thank you so much Dominique, for the airtime Dominique Morisot you can come back anytime award winning playwright we look forward to your first Tony ain't too proud currently on Broadway it is the life and the times of the temptations thank you Dominique thank you thank you so much Take care, sister. I'll see you in Detroit. <laughs> All right now. All right. <laughs> Thank you, ladies. Bye-bye. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye. It's Cafe Mocha. We all fell in love with her wicked witchness in the craft. Plus, she's in a new documentary called Horror Noir. It's all about black people in horror films. <laughs> Welcome to Cafe Mocha, actress Rachel True. Hey, Rachel. Uh, thank- Hi. Thank you so much for having me, you guys. Now, take us back to the filming of the horror flick, The Craft, in in, in 96. <laughs> what was that like? Uh, well, you know, it was interesting on a few different levels, uh, some of which which were kind of touched on in the documentary horror noir, what it's like, you know, to be a black actor during that time, period. But first of all, everyone always thinks it's going to be super spooky on set of a spooky movie. It's not. Just like, you know, I have a tarot card book coming out and people say, ooh, tarot, the devil. And I'm like, listen, it's paper cards made by a toy company. That's all it is. (laughs) So, you know, I use them in a psychology way to help, um, you know, decipher my life. But back to the craft, it was super neat, to be honest. I've said this before. uh, That was going to be originally all four white girls. And when I heard uh, about the script... I just kind of forced my way into the audition by by going through different agents and managers and really being uh, dogmatic about getting an appointment for that. And then um, I think it worked out well because I was sitting around with Feruza Balk and we were trading lines from the movie joking that who'd have thought all these years later people would still be talking about that film. Yeah, you went viral after there was a panel discussion with the ladies of the craft and you weren't invited. Uh, well, actually, I think what happened was, um, you know, I put out, yeah, I put out some tweets about it because what I realized was now that I'm a grown up, mm-hmm. um, after, you know, a lifetime career of being a black actor in Hollywood where you had to really straddle a line, right? You can't say too much. You can't say too little. You got to kind of know your place, especially we're talking back in the 90s. So for me, I just thought I'm going to speak out on this. You know, what, what would make people not want to have all four of us what would make them say no thank you to you but we'll take the other three or the other two or whatever it is and i just thought "Mm, i'm not gonna let myself be erased while i'm still here (laughs) that's right it's cafe mocha on the line we love her actress rachel true she has a documentary called horror noir now can you tell us about the documentary and you know what what made this come about Okay, here's what I love about this story. First of all, a lot of people listening may be, you know, writing a blog or just uh, trying to do your dream and how do you get from A to B. One of the producers of this, Ashley um, Blackwell, she 
Uh, it started out as a blogger, still as a blogger, and, um, you know, found this book by Robin Means Coleman. And this is a kind of, she's a, Robin Means Coleman is a scholar, so this is a pretty erudite take on horror. It's not just a retread of this black person in this movie got stabbed. No, 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 this <laughs> documentary starts with Birth of a Nation, okay? Mm. Because that is a horror movie to black people. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, oh, yeah. and then it follows, it talks about the parallel between what was happening and where we were in horror and how that paralleled our existence. In fact, one of the lines that struck me the most was from Blackula, when Blackula turns one of his friends and then the guy is like, um, I can't see myself. What is a man if he cannot see his own reflection? So the documentary picks up on us, black people, seeing our reflection in film. And this is, you know, uh, focusing on horror. Or horror, horror, however you say it. <laughs> I know I do it all the time. Angelique, can you talk about black people in the horror genre? I mean, why is it that we always the first ones to die when we know in real life well, that it's just not true? Uh, here, here's the thing. Watch the documentary, and oddly enough, out of all tropes in horror, they dispel that one a little bit because we are not okay. always the first to die. We are quite often the first, but quite often we're the third. And, and um... You know, uh, uh, Tanana Reeve, and I hope I'm not butchering her beautiful name, Tanana Reeve, uh, one of the other producers, Tanana Reeve Duke, who's also a writer, she talks about the fact that when we are not the first to die, maybe we are the third to die. That actually signifies to the white people in peril how much more trouble they're in, because if they made it through that black person, oh shit. You know, sometimes the black person is, you know, the last bastion of hope in the movie. And then when they die, that means stuff's about to get really serious. So I just think this documentary is very educational. I learned so much watching it. And they talk about movies like Ganja and Hess and, you know, these forgotten art house films made by black filmmakers that didn't get attention or didn't get distribution. Um, You know, let's talk about, you know, with this being... Women's History Month, and you know, we got Black History Month, and we had the NAACP Image Awards, and all this stuff. Of being a black actress, what are your feelings about that? Because you are one. Well, I would say what's terrific about um, time changing, right, is mm-hmm. that things have changed. We have a renaissance on television where many, many black filmmakers and other filmmakers of color are getting a chance when it was simply. Um, I love film, believe me. I shot a lot of things on film, film back in the day, and I love it. But the thing about the digital revolution is, I think, you know, it's made things maybe slightly cheaper to film. So so there's a lot of avenues for us as black creative types for business people. And I think the thing to remember is um, that I always try to remember when it comes to, and Lonnie probably knows this too, it's all a commercial for the commercial, right? Mm -hmm. When I do a sitcom, they're selling vacuums. I mean, to use the 1940s analogy, right? It was the Hoover vacuum hour. So we have to have brown people, people of color in positions, uh, not just uh, artists like me, but in, in, in the business aspect, because representation matters. You know, I saw a thing yesterday that a woman with her braids was finally able to go, she's a newscaster, was able to wear her braids on the news in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that is insane to me. So once we have more brown people behind the scenes, this won't be a problem. I did a panel for a bunch of young executives from all different, it was uh, Netflix and HBO and everybody, and some uh, performer there said, okay, so if I audition for something uh, and I have curly hair, do I need to dot, dot, dot? Now, one of the other actors says, yes, you need to straighten it, wear a wig. Now, I say, I'm going to split the difference. 
I say, it is up to us to show them that I can be a senator's wife with curly hair. Now, I've never booked a senator's wife, so maybe I can't. But the point is, once we show them that these, this is our hair, this is our color, this is how we look, this is what we do, and we're not saying no, uh, to me it's helpful, you know? I mean, I've always worn my hair curly because A, it, it breaks if you look at it too hard, <laughs> but B... I really like my curly hair. I wanted other girls to like their hair. I came up when black is beautiful, right? That's mm-hmm. what I grew up with. So that's different. A little different. We're black is beautiful now, but we're like black is beautiful, but really European too. <laughs> so it's just a different time. And then people can also say, well, you have curly hair and you have the luxury of saying that. And that may be true. You know- so either either way, I just know that I, it makes me happy to know when little girls or grown women come up to me and say, you were the only one of the few people I saw who looked like me with hair like mine. Mm. You know what's interesting when you talk about hair? Um, just recently on Twitter, our friend Yvette Nicole Brown. Um, she, we love. <laughs> we love Yvette. I love her so much. She is one of the nicest, kindest, most loveliest humans out there. Very much so. Um, she retweeted um, a tweet, a, a, and the, basically the tweet was saying how Black actresses have to, like, when we go on to a new set, most of the time we have to bring our own foundation, our own hair products. <laughs> well, you know that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and it actually, it actually started a whole discussion of Rachel True about so many people were retweeting it. It became a trending topic. And, and there were so many people, um, the majority of people that were like, I didn't know this is what you guys go through. Because, I'm not sure how I missed this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, uh, you can take this out, Chris. But go on there now. It was, it was, we, we started it yesterday. And we, I will look at it because I'm sorry I missed it. Because, I, listen, it's a fine tightrope walk with what we do, right? And I, when I came up, it was just a given that I was going to... People accuse me of bleaching my skin now, and I'm like, no, I'm actually just lit like like I should be. Hey. I, was a, I was always lit next to three white girls, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, and, maybe, and, and I used to take fabulous vacations around the world and come back tan. <laughs> so, really, it's just that the lighting and the cameras and everything have gotten different, and now we're, being, we're more sensitive. I mean, if you look back at Kodak, uh, the lighting scheme for things was lit against a very pale woman. Mm-hmm. That was the way it was done. And that's why Julie Dash's Daughters of the Dust was such a great instrumental movie because shot on black and white, but you could see all the different brown skin tones somehow because they used a special film stock and they thought about brown skin when they were lighting it. So back to your thread, yes, I quite often, I remember looking in the mirror in the 90s going, I really love my color. I have this red, brown, orangey color that I love. And why does it never show? Mm-hmm. Why do I always look not my color? <laughs> You know, uh, and I realize it's because they're not doing my makeup the way that they should. It's Cafe Mocha on the line having a wonderful discussion with actress Rachel True. You know her from The Craft, but you also know her from the hit show that I loved, Half and Half. And um, (laughs) I don't know. Let's go back down, you know, memory lane a little bit with with that. Isn't it funny? Um, what happened? Can you, like, abbreviate the story for our listeners? With what? Happy half? Or yeah, half and half. Like, thing? yeah. How it I how was, it changed and moved and then, you know. Well, uh, you know, it was originally a pilot written for Janine Garofalo. And um, I wow. think uh, 
I, I, the writers had had a couple other hit sitcoms on, um, and they they created that episode show on Showtime. Anyway, it was a pilot for Jeanine Garoppolo. She decided she didn't want to do it, I guess. It sat on the shelf for years. And then the fabulous Yvette Lee Bowser uh, got a hold of it and thought, well, you know, why don't we leave it as is? You know, uh, we're not going to even change the patois, you know, just leave it because it's funny as is, but just use uh, some brown folk and... That's how that came about. And for me, you know, I'd done a lot of film before. I hadn't really done um, too many sitcoms. And um, I just knew when I got the script, I went, wait a second. I have a neighbor downstairs who has a crush on me and is kind of goofy and annoying. And wait, I've got a lighter-skinned half-younger half-sister who got all the attention. I mean, it was just, like, almost written for me, in a sense, I felt like. So tested for it a few times, which as the actors know, you know, you have to go through a bunch of auditions, and then you test, and then maybe you have to test again, which is what happened. But Essence Atkins and I had worked together before, and I knew we had really good chemistry, so when they brought us back together for the final test, I thought, this could really work, you know, this this could work, and we could have a lot of fun together. So, for me, it was a huge learning curve. You know, Essence had been on tons of sitcoms, I'd never really done it before, uh, you know, guest spots, but, but it was a fun... At the time, um, I didn't realize this, but at the time I booked that show, so much has changed since then. But, you know, I was one of only probably five women who could say I was number one on the call sheet of my own show or uh, ensemble show. But I was number one on the call sheet. Mm -hmm. And we just weren't in that position. Lonnie knows what I'm talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. For the listeners. A lot has changed since then. Thank God. By plenty of black, brown women, number one on the call sheet. Yay. Yeah, for the listeners, number one on a call sheet means she's the star, basically. Okay, continue. <laughs> so, no, no, I just wanted to add that, but obviously it's an ensemble show. Uh, uh, I wasn't the star, but, you, you know, I got that billing on the show. And, and so that is why today I kind of was like, I'm going to speak up for my, when I feel like I'm not being re- received or respected in, uh, like, the convention thing, when I should be, include me in that. I'm part of that, <laughs> you know, I'm part of that legacy for girls. It was important that there was a brown girl in that movie, just like I think it was important. As silly as show, as half and half was, it was important to have some carefree black girls, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, on TV. We had girlfriends, and then we had half and half, and even though we were all around the same age, half and half kind of skewed a little younger. So, you know, it's great to have, again, young girls come up to me and go, I was such an oddball, Rachel, and I loved that there was Mona, you know? who was always tripping over her own feet and saying the wrong things and being silly, you know, because for a while that was only white girls had the luxury of that, you know? So in a, in a way I am very proud of that character. It was super fun to do with such talented people too. And it started on CBS and then it, it went to UPN, correct? Well, I think it was originally maybe going to be on CBS, CBS, but then it was, it was a CBS production all along. But then it was on uh, UPN. And then uh, UPN did its great purge, you know, when it became the CW and Pretty Young White People. And so uh, that's coming back around. I think they're adding some black shows in. But they kind of got rid of all their black shows around the same time, kind of like, you know, WB and Fox did, too, back in the day. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think you make, mm-hmm. make a lot of money off sitcoms. This is the deal. Yeah. Um, although, you know what's funny, and I'm going to say this on your radio show, and everyone on... Um, Twitter is like, I'm so excited. You're, you must be so excited for, you know, when you, your show's on bounce and this and that. And honestly, I don't make any residuals off that. People think I'm so rich from sitting back on my residuals. I don't make, I make probably, I make so little per episode. It's insane. Uh, Lonnie probably knows what I'm talking about. And that's okay. That's, I signed a not great contract. 
That's my fault. And I'm only saying this because I know a lot of people get really annoyed and bitter, right, when things don't go their way. And I do a lot of energy work. And my thing is, it's okay. Like, I got got jacked on that. That's not great that somebody, a lot of people are still making money off half and half. I am not one of them. But it's a really good lesson for the next time, right? Like, that won't happen again. Well, (laughs) Well, that's what people have to understand. They think that because we're on TV, we're swimming in money. And, right. you know, there are different contracts. There are different things. And, you know, even like uh, Jeffrey Owens, who was the young man that was on Cosby. Yeah. And they found, you know, he became, he did uh, honest work as uh, Trader Joe's. I'm so glad people rallied around him for that because, honestly, you're right. People do not know. Uh, an artist's life is very challenging at times, right? You're super mm-hmm. busy. You're not busy. You've got to... You've got to keep yourself busy and, and, and keep your chops sharp. And I think taking anything we do to make an honest living, like that's what else do. Unless someone's saying my rent, don't pay me no mind. I don't give a mess <laughs> what you think about, you know, especially now that I'm a grown up and Jeffrey as well. And the thing is, he's gotten some great work off of it. He's a very talented actor and every actor goes through uh, ups and downs, even the most popular actor out there. There was a documentary in the 90s called Searching for Deborah Winger and it really nailed, you know, what happens to a lot of uh, actresses that focus on white ones, you know, and how white ladies disappear for a while too when you Mm -hmm. hit a certain age. So men, women, we all go through it and it's just part of it. And usually... We are artists, you know, uh, whether uh, Lonnie is acting on a show or, or doing a stand-up. It's, you have many interests, you know. I That's why I sold a book, because it's a, it's a tarot book, and I'm hoping that I can uh, introduce my young black women to something that is not of the devil at all. It's simply a way to get in touch. It's a shrink in a box. That's literally what it is. A lot of us don't go to therapy. Here's Or we dump all our problems on our friends, mm-hmm. right? So here's you can use tarot cards help you figure your your stuff out and help make uh, decisions as Carl Jung said the best way to predict the future is to understand how the present evolved from the past wow that is what I use tarot cards for to help me understand what's going on right now and if I keep down the same path oh it's going to keep going this way but if I'm aware of my patterns and I can change them and create the future I want and also the book is um by the way, there's 21, uh, it's a book, uh, Interpretations of the Cards. I'm designing a deck set that goes a tarot deck set along with it. And then there's 22 memoir essays. The Fool Through the World in the Tarot, there's 22 cards. And so there's a memoir essay from back in the day, from the 90s, talking about the craft, booking that, uh, half and half, you know, different shops, just different experiences. I've had in some modern ones, too. When can we expect the book and tarot cards? Well, you know, publishing is slow as molasses, or at least I'm learning that. So Mm -hmm. the book will be, we're still working on the deck. The book will be out in 2020. In the meantime, I did a couple episodes of um, Better Things, which is the TV show on FX. And um, I love that show so much because it is literally about uh, grown women. I didn't watch the first season, I'm going to admit, because I thought it was like, oh, it's probably just about a mother and her kids. It's not at all. Literally, if you're a Gen X woman, if you're any woman, you're going to love it. But I think especially for me, uh, being a similar age to Pamela Adlon, the creator, it's an, it's an amazing show. I'm thrilled to have done it. And they, they kind of um, hunted me down. I wasn't really even auditioning or, or I was, you know, I've been working on my book. And so, so I don't know about you, Lonnie, right? But once BET started blasting my age every six months, all of a sudden I was getting called in on grandma, grandma, grandma roles, right? Yeah. Like, 
y'all just got back from church and I'm a grandma. And, you know, because they're going off my age. And I was like, I'm not the grandma you're looking for. I think I'll write a book instead. <laughs> well, so it's kind of nice to wow. come back to acting in a fun role that I really enjoy. Well, we enjoy you so much, Rachel, Rachel True. Um, and thank you so much for this, this conversation this time. How can um, our followers keep in contact with you? Oh, I would say, you know, I'm most active on Instagram. So my handle on there is True Rachel True because this little white girl won't give me my name back. And I keep <laughs> saying, aren't you tired of the brothers hitting you up? And she's like, whatever. So True Rachel True is my name on Instagram. I'm probably most active in my stories. I like to do kind of like visual storytelling on there, actually. I like, I like to edit and do silly things that are really easy for me. So I'm on the stories a lot at True Rachel True and my IGTV Live. Um, and I do a bunch of those I uh, as the hair dries theater. I tend to do them when I'm drying my hair. So that became as the hair dries theater. Oh. Um, and then I'm on Twitter uh, at Rachel True. Um, and that's kind of it. Uh, I think those are my main ones. Well, thank you so much, and we can't wait for the book to come out. Uh, thank you guys for taking the time to talk to me. Um, you know, you have a great show, so I'm really pleased to be on it. Oh, we are honored. So take care thank of yourself, you. Rachel. All right, have an awesome day, you guys. You Bye. too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Here's your dose of espresso. Strong, hot news now. I'm Angelique with the Espresso. This week, the felony charges against Jesse Smollett were dropped. The superintendent of the Chicago PD was not happy. I've heard that they wanted their day in court with TV cameras so America could know the truth. But no, they chose to hide behind secrecy and broker a deal to circumvent the judicial system. Black Enterprise recently held their Women of Power Summit and Stacey Abrams spoke. Yes, yeah, Stacey that ran for governor of Georgia and is now being talked about as a possible running mate for Joe Biden. You are taught in politics that it is unseemly to declare ambition. I think that's stupid. I think that it is, it is one of the ways we diminish the agency, especially black women, because we're told not to declare what we want. If you don't declare what you want, how are you ever going to get things? Coming soon to theaters, Regina Hall in Little. It's about a, a woman who is an adult and who has her own company and who's a bully and who's not the nicest of women and she meets this little girl who casts a spell on her that wishes uh, she were little and she becomes little and she kind of gets a do-over in life. Little Hits Theaters April 12th. That's the espresso. Hang on to your seat and adjust the volume. It's time for the Mocha Mix. Ten minutes of pure mocha right about now. Now. It's DJ Miss ID. Bye-bye. 
shave my legs and sometimes I don't Sometimes I comb my hair and sometimes I won't Depending on how the wind blows, I might even hang my toes It really just depends on whatever feels good in my soul Some idea. Never change. Same old thing. Same old game. Say you want to be with me. Show me my ring. Baby, let me think. I've been in the cold. Story untold. I'm about to unfold. How do you expect me to ever believe you won't be with me? You Thank you. 
don't care, I'm in love with the island Rockin' Dio, cause it goes with my diamonds Got a pink gown, cause it's my Alaga I'll be on stage when the stadium lies You should've known that it's bigger than you You'll never know what I already knew After everything I already been through I can't waste no time, pay no attention to you I said no ID. The Mocha Mix with DJ Miss ID. And of course, if you want to check out Dominique Morisot's Broadway play, The Life and Times of the Temptations, it's on Broadway right now. Until next weekend, you can find us on all platforms at Cafe Mocha Radio. Like a moth to a flame burned by the fire. My love is blind, can't you see my desire? That's the way love goes. is a production of Miles Ahead Broadcasting in partnership with Compass Media. Executive producer Sheila Eldridge. For comments, booking, or more information, visit CafeMochaRadio.com.